With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Spring will be here soon, so if buying a new home is on your to-do list, right now is the time to call Quicken Loans. Learn about which mortgage options make sense for you and get a jump on your competition. With our exclusive Rate Shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a Rate Shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com to take advantage. Here's another great reason to work with us. For a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Again, to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive rate shield approval, call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Sesame Ginger Glaze Chicken Signature Wrap. How would you like it? I'll take a... Sports announcer at home? Yeah, how'd you... We just know. My wife picks up the new signature wrap. It's got double the rotisserie-style chicken mixed with a sesame ginger glaze. She appears annoyed at me, but she shrugs it off. Those sweet and savory flavors are calling her name. She lifts the wrap, and she takes the bite! Incredible! And now she's closing the door on my... Subway, make it what you want. Limited time only at participating restaurants. Double meat based on average six-inch sub. I'm Little Teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle, and here is my spout. No, Dad, like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip me over and pour me out. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to For Immediate Release. It is Monday, September 30th, and I'm Liz Feld, and I'm joined by Billy O'Reilly, my co-host. Hello, Billy. Hi, Liz. I, I wish it was a busier news week so we had some stuff to talk about. I was wondering if we should start having a daily show. Right. <laughs> An hourly show. An hourly, An hourly show, up to the minute. We'll call it, we'll call it the Twitter show. <laughs> Uh, before we launch into the program and, and I introduce our special guest for the week, I just want to say Happy New Year at Rosh Hashanah to um, everybody out there who's celebrating today. It's a wonderful holiday, uh, and it's the beginning of this long 10 days for um, for everybody who's honoring these uh, yeah, million, Millions of Americans, that's millions right. Millions of Americans. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very joyous time. So... Um, and for those of you who are not listening to us because of that, maybe they can catch us on a on a on a uh, rewind. Right, exactly. On a replay. The benefits of podcasts, exactly. Yeah. 
So um, we do have a very special guest this week, someone who has been helping us behind the scenes now for the really since our launch. Um, it's Nick Neuer. He's a senior at a school in New York City. Uh, he's sitting right next to me, Nick. Welcome. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. I've been. And uh, wait a second. And isn't your name Liz Neuerfeld? Is there a relation yeah. here? Well, I left that out of the intro. Did you notice? Yes. Yes. So I'm a little biased. Um, and pretty soon we've got to have Georgia on, Billy, your daughter. But, oh, we will. Uh, Nick, I'm so glad to have you on. I've, 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 I follow you and you're absolutely brilliant. And, um, and you, know, you, you give great hope to this new generation. Thank you. Well, and he's been very involved and, and he's going to talk a little more about this during the program with, with his school newspaper. But you know, as you and I say all the time, you know, it's just so important for us to get the perspectives from, you know, of other people, particularly those who are just starting to vote, who have really active student governments and um, who are engaged in world affairs, no matter what side of the aisle they're on. It, it's just great. You and I are um, aging out in some ways. Uh, exactly. And, and Nick, will this be your first election that you're voting in? Yeah. 2020? Uh, it will be. I mean, I'm not 18 yet, but all of my friends. I'm not 18 yet, but all my friends are registering to vote now, and I'm going to register to vote um, in June as soon as I you know, get the form and as soon as I turn 18, so June 20. That's right. So you'll be ready for 2020, so that'll be an interesting year. Exactly. Yeah, I'm really that's, Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. My, my, first, my first vote was for Ronald Reagan, who, who your Aunt Liz worked for. So, um, so yeah, it's all, it's all close to home. And, you know, Nick and I were just talking about whether he can vote in a uh, republic. If you, if you, well, you're a, are you registered conservative now, Billy? I'm a registered conservative now. That's right. right. Yep. So in New York State, you cannot vote in the Republican primary, right? It, it's not. Um, That's correct. Yeah. I think there's 20, 20 states or 22, I think 20 that allow um, p- people from, from other parties can vote in Republican primaries or Democratic primaries. New York is not one of them. Okay. Um, all right, so let's get let's get right to it. First of all, I, we're going to talk about um, the, the big I word, but can we talk about Chris Collins for a second? Just go go local first. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do uh, it. Yeah. Uh, he was Chris Collins was the county executive in upstate New York for many years. Very successful and effective. He ran for Congress several years ago. He was the first elected congressman to endorse Trump. I think that's right. The 2016 election, right, Billy? That's, that's right. He was the first in Congress and Sessions, the first in the Senate. That's right. And he has been um, ensnared, although that sounds like he's a victim. He's been involved yeah, exactly. uh, in, a, uh, in a scandal for the last year and a half that's been investigated, insider trading scandal, which he just pled guilty to or will plead guilty officially tomorrow. But he just submitted his letter of resignation to the House. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's obviously a big it's another house member going down. I've got to say I, I I've known Chris Collins for a long time. He was a client of my firm for a very short period. He was going to run for governor in 2010, 2010 I think. And um ended up jumping out early in that in that process. But um I I always liked Chris Collins. He was incredibly helpful to me and to some of my clients over the years and I'm 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 really saddened by it and I'll continue to be a fan and friend of Chris Collins. But um cuz I also believe in redemption. But um, you know, obviously this this was not um, whatever happened. It was an insider trading thing. Was the charge, and, I, and apparently he is pleading guilty. So something happened that shouldn't have. But I'm not going to throw the whole man away for it because I I really do like Chris Collins as a person. So let's talk about this for a second because it's you know this is just one example because we see it seems like we see this every almost every day certainly every week. Chris Collins was the charge was what she's pleading to. So he was sitting on the board of directors of an Australian biotech company, and he knew the company was going south. So he told his son to bail on his stock. He gave his son a stock tip to get out so that he wouldn't lose a lot of money. And then his son also told one of his um, colleagues or friends, what, how, what planet are you living on? You're, you do that anyway, but you do that as a member of Congress. Yeah, and, apparently, and apparently, I remember when this broke. And I think it was CNN or one of the one of the um, new, maybe it was one of the networks that that evidently had had um, live recording. I mean, live imagery of him talking on the phone about the stock trade. And I don't know whether that turned out to be accurate or not. But it's just right. You're going to get in trouble there. You're going to get in trouble. And it's you know totally you know really bad um, bad judgment call. No question there. Yeah. You know, College, college is really interesting. He was um, he was one of the of the pre-Trump like tough talker 
kind of populist types. He was. And I, yeah. I remember when he first came up and yeah. I saw him at a couple of conservative party dinners and he just said what he thought. And it was, this was pre-Carl Palladino in New York. Like Collins was like the first one of them. And he came in there and he, and he, you know, was the bull in the China shop and he didn't mind saying what he thought. And at the time I remember I, I, thinking it was so refreshing. Um, I'm not sure I like where it's all gone. No, it, but, well, I agree with you. And it was certainly, that was the, that was the sensibility and the approach he, he brought to being county executive to a, a part of New York state. that's really hurting. And um, like you said, I mean, he meant business and he delivered. He delivered a shortage of self-confidence, I'll say. Oh, no, no, no doubt there. And he was a Six Sigma guy. If you, you know, the yes. Six Sigma, that business yeah. approach to doing things, he had, he had done yeah. really well in business. But I just remember when um, the listeners may may know Rob Astorino, who's now on CNN quite a bit. And Rob was was is a friend of both of ours and, and um, was a client for a long time. When Rob first won the county executive race, Scott Walker out in Wisconsin was incredible. Was then a county executive of Milwaukee County, and um, and Chris Collins, who was county executive of Erie County, the Buffalo area, were both incredibly helpful. And I remember Chris came down and and briefed us and went through. I think he was on the um, transition committee and really gave us a lot of solid time and advice, and was always very nice to him. So I'll, I'll always appreciate that from him. And um, you know, he was a kind of a guy's guy. And, um, but, but the, but the trading stuff, you're right. I mean, an ordinary person's going to get nailed and someone in Congress where there's, there's always a, a target on your back, you know, it's just crazy to even try that. It is. And in addition to being illegal, you know, it makes me sick. How much money these people need? And the guy who's a kid, there's that whole level of, well, we could spend the rest of the hour talking about that, but, um, uh, you know, how much greed and uh, it's, it's, it's awful. But, you know, you see this with these son, Dean Skelos and his son, you had Al D'Amato and his brother. I mean, this, this family, my family runs in the other direction when I tell them, if I give them a stock tip, they run the direction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, my lane. That's right, exactly. So my stock, tip, my stock tip, tip is buy the indexes. <laughs> buy low, sell high. Yeah. Right, right, right. So let's, let's throw Nick right into the deep end. Um, I saw a tweet by Hillary Rodham Clinton a couple of hours ago, and it, this was it. I don't know if you saw it. The pre- the president is a corrupt human tornado. So my question to Nick is, true or false? <laughs> and, and can we get Nick's background first? Nick, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah sure. For, yeah. Um, so uh, like Liz said, I'm, I'm a high school student at a high school in um, Manhattan, and I've been interested in politics since – you know, middle school. I've been reading the the, the paper, um, the journal, since I've been in uh, you know, sixth or seventh grade, maybe. And then uh, I was on my model Congress team in middle school, and then oh, high school model Congress. I got I got involved in my school uh, political journal. Um, I'm a senior editor of that now, and uh, I do the I do this radio show um, as well. So politics is really what I'm interested in. Hopefully, going to do that. Um, and you're, you're an actual conservative in liberal Manhattan, New York yeah, City. I am. I know. It's, it's, well, and Billy, I'm so glad you brought that up because Nick, why don't you tell everybody about the paper that got started at Trinity? Because it's very, it's interesting. You'd always had one school paper modeled it more after the New York Times. Yes. Yes. So we had a, um, we have a newspaper called the Trinity Times. Um, and that's, I mean, most popular or was the most popular newspaper at our school. Um, but my friends and I, um, two years ago, or about a year and a half ago now, we started a political journal that we wanted to bring conservative voice to the political scene at Trinity um, called Trinity Review. Um, and that's, of course, based on the na- or on National Review, which is a conservative, um, you know, the conservative journal um, and probably the most famous. And we aimed, like I said, to bring a conservative voice to Trinity politics, but we also... We didn't want it to be just a bunch of, you know, or the very few conservatives at my school writing articles and, you know, criticizing the other people and the other um, publications. So we also brought in, we brought in editors from all sides of the political spectrum. And I think we've done a really great job of having really balanced issues, whereas the other publications, their issues are much more skewed to the left. Um and we have three conservative editors or senior editors and one liberal senior editor. And then the rest of our editors are a mix of Republican and liberal. So 
And what, was it difficult to get that through the, I assume that there's faculty advisors or something like that. You hear so many cases of, of faculty pushing back against conservative publications or startups. Was that the case at your school or, or did it, did it go nicely? Um, well, getting it started went very smoothly. It's, it's actually, I'll say this about my high school. It's very easy to get clubs going there. They don't restrict you at all. But what I will say is that my friend who is an avid Trump supporter, um, he wrote an article and well, I actually, I thought it was too long and it took up too much of the issue and he kind of put it in a place where it was, you know, the focal point and it took away from some of the other articles that were anti-Trump. Um, even, even because, like he got a lot of criticism from teachers and judgment. Um, I heard people talking about him and, and saying things that were not so nice behind his back and teachers and not just students. Um, so in that in that regard, it was met with a lot of criticism. Yeah, but I yeah. think now it's viewed as in, in our in our later issues, we did a better job of balancing the way the articles were positioned and their lengths. Um, so it was met with less criticism as it went on. Um, but to start with, there was definitely a lot of criticism and a lot of people who weren't so open to it. But I also think now people realize that it was really helpful and it really fostered a lot of discussion. Um, and does it all break down, Nick, along pro-Trump, anti-Trump lines, like so much of, like almost all politics right now? Or is it deeper than that? Do you actually see serious philosophical differences around and ideological differences around these around the issues? Um, I think that a lot of people at Trinity, um, who because obviously everyone's not as involved in politics as I am, or as my uh, co-editors are, and so outside of the journal and outside of the other newspapers, I think people are more pro-Trump, um, anti-Trump. But also, I mean, I think there's also a divide between Republican and Democrat. I think people who say they're Republicans are automatically associated with Trump, even though that's not necessarily the case. Um, but in the magazine, uh, magazines and in the, and even the super liberal magazines there, um, but in, in our journal, I think there's some philosophical differences because we've talked about different issues. We talked about when Trump pulled the troops out of Syria. We've talked about, um, you know, Israel. We talked about. You talk a lot about immigration. A lot about immigration. Um, yeah. All the issues you could think, except gun control. We never talked about gun control. That, that's why I'm so glad that you're on here because it's great to get the perspective of, of someone your age. Cause it's, yeah, I think that the millennials and, and, you know, just, and other generations down there are just completely typecast in one way. And there are, there, there is actually divergent thought and dissenting opinion going on, which is really, really cool to, to have on the show. So interesting, Nick, that you would bring up that there is agreement around, around gun control though. Oh, well, I mean, I think the only people who we try and avoid talking about it at all costs. Um, of course it does come up. Um, but it seems like, that issue, even more so than than Trump, is actually the most divisive issue, and 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 abortion. But that never really comes up, you know, in discussion. But after you know mass shootings and after other tragedies, um, gun control inevitably comes up, and that is a topic that people really there. And I'm sure this extends far beyond Trinity. And well, I think you. I think you find out immediately which of your classmates' families have ranches in Texas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what? You, just to go back, what do you? Th- what did you think of the Hillary Clinton tweet? I sorry, I interrupted that question. I'll repeat it just to. Yeah, the president is a corrupt human tornado. Well, you know, that's that's a pretty difficult. Um, which part don't you agree with? <laughs> I I don't think Trump is actually corrupt. Maybe he's a human tornado in terms of his tweets, if that's what you want to call it, a tornado, um, in terms of that it can get out of control, and it, right now it's out of control. Um, but corrupt, I mean, it's ironic, first of all, that Hillary Clinton's calling anybody corrupt. Um, and Trump, I mean, as much as this should not be the case, Almost all politicians are corrupt to some extent, but I actually don't think Trump is the most corrupt politician. Um, you know, he hasn't. Russia was. Let's talk about Ukraine. Let's we'll get. Should, about we get Ukraine? should we talk about Ukraine now? 
and yeah. get the character. She was that's what she was referring, she was referring to, to, right? I think yeah, and, I, and I'm sure every time she tweets them, Nancy that's Pelosi right. cringes. You couldn't have a worse person weighing in. But go, right. let's, yeah, let's jump to to Ukraine. Let's, let's jump to Ukraine specifically, and what really what all of this means, and and absolutely, if the president made the right decision releasing the transcript of the call and whether how this affects Biden politically. We can go down the whole list of, of things, how Nancy Pelosi's handling it, but specifically she meant corrupt as far as the, as the call. Of course. And then- um, so I don't think the call is enough to say that he's corrupt. Um, and I, I don't think the whistleblower, there's going to have to be a whole investigation with that, but I don't think the transcript alone is enough. There was no quid pro quo in the transcript. Um, the DOJ investigated um, and they said, and, and they went over the transcript and they said there was no criminal offense. Um, and also the Ukrainians did not, they didn't even know that aid was being cut, cut off until a month after. And as of Friday, aid is still flowing through to Ukraine. Um, so he hasn't acted on, or he hasn't yet acted on that. Um, and I don't think just a simple phone call and doing what he did is, corrupt I, I think um and you know like i said all politics are really um slightly corrupt and, and you can expect people to act out of their own interests but you know to the trump he he, he did what um most candidates would do i mean i think i'll put it this way um I think if Hillary Clinton were in that situation, or Hillary Clinton has done worse, and for her to say that, um, it's pretty ironic. And I think, like the DOJ said, he didn't commit a criminal offense. He didn't do anything beyond suggest an investigation. Um, and that the fact Rudy Giuliani, on his own, had been doing some probing before, um, before he would at least before he was Trump's advisor in official capacity. So, no, I don't think he is corrupt. Yeah, I would say I'll, I'll play devil's advocate a, a little bit here, but I would say that Hillary Clinton, to your point, c- certainly understands the old adage, never say what you can, never write what you can say and never say what you can wink. Um, I don't think Hillary Clinton would ever be caught on a call with other people listening, exactly. um, right. using, the, using the words that Trump did. She's, she comes from politics, so she, yeah. you know, she understands that insinuations don't have to be spelled out. Um, but what what would you say to what would you say to those that would say two two things that that they would say of course Ukraine knew that that money hadn't arrived yet they're desperately in need of it but what are they supposed to say when they're asked because they still need the Trump administration to be good to them and the second thing which I think is a is kind of an alarming conversation and a bigger conversation when you say that DOJ investigated the situation and found nothing a lot of people don't trust this DOJ anymore which is really sad. Yeah, like that's whether um, that's whether that's whether they should or shouldn't. That's just the, the 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 fact of the matter that a lot of people think that that Barr and the DOJ whitewashed this. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to your second point, um, I I think it's unfortunate that people don't trust the DOJ anymore. But the thing is, is that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats um, they don't have they don't have anything to go on here um, in terms of the investigation, and I think. You know the transcript is available. It's 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 um, available. For, excuse me, available to the public, um, and, and you know so many articles have been published in the past week. You know with quotes from it and everything you could ask for. So if you don't trust the DOJ's assessment, you can look at you could look it up and see tidbits of it yourself. Um, so and, and the fact that Trump released it, um, and, and this is kind of goes to my previous point. Some of the documents that he released were subject to executive privilege, um, so he didn't have to release them. And the clarity um, that he gave or that he kind of proceeded with, um, it made him look – to begin with, it made him look, you know, innocent, whereas the Democrats were kind of grasping at straws in terms of their accusations, and they still are. It's so so amazing how how individual perspectives – you know, uh, like affect how how one sees this. Like, do you, do you remember a few years ago? I'm not sure uh, if you remember this. There was a dress that went online, and people would look at the dress and say it's gold, and other people would say it was blue. 
Yeah. Yes. You know, it, was clear, it was clear as day. Yes. Some people will look at that transcript and say, that's clear as day. He was he was asking a foreign power to investigate his political rival holding money over his head. Or first of all, just asking. And, the, and then secondly, possibly holding money over his head by, by mentioning it. And then you have others that look at it and say, show me where this is wrong. And there's an incredible disagreement in this country. But you definitely see it one way and, and other people see it another way. And it's so interesting. It's that to me, it's that blue and gold dress. And I and I take your I take your take on it honestly. You know, you don't have an axe to grind in this. Um, you know, you know, Trump campaign people certainly have an axe to grind, or or members of you know, or senators certainly. But you seem to be a, a fairly impartial you know viewer of the, these circumstances, and that's how you see it, which is interesting. I, I actually see it the other way, but but I respect the fact that you see it that way. And Billy, as part of it, when you say you see it the other way, that if you just actually look, read it in, in the sequencing of the convert of the um, of the ask, right? And and there, there now, I guess a lot of this is hinging on the word though, right? I, I, you know, um, he, he there's a linkage, an explicit linkage. Do me a favor, though. Yeah, yeah. Yes, do me a favor, though. Right. Um, not can you? Oh, and by the way, can you do me a favor? As an aside. So I guess that's that ultimately actually might be what this particular thing boils down to. But um, a couple of things. So oh, we just found out that Rudy Giuliani is being subpoenaed by the House Democrats. What, what significance do you think his role in all of this plays? And I don't just mean it's in, in the phone call itself, but his nonstop media tour where he just seems to be really off, you know, off the top of his head, spewing stuff that comes to mind. I don't see how this is helpful to the president at all. Yeah, pro- probably, probably not. And then sometimes we've we've all known Rudy Giuliani in New York for many years. I did work on his first campaign, and you know knew the administration well. But um, so sometimes when he's out there looking like a loon, which he does at times, you know, I think he's crazy like a fox. I mean, Rudy knows how to move a conversation in the same way that Donald Trump does. You know, it was it yeah. was um, in the same way that Muhammad Ali did. In and the same, never flinches. Never, yeah, never flinches. And in the same way, gorgeous George, like Ali got. You know, we talked about that. Where they, you pick up that style. Where if you just, if you don't stop, they can't stop you. You know, you go. Right. But I, but I bet Giuliani, um, under oath, will be quite different because here's here's a for a former U.S. attorney, um, you know, a former prosecutor. He knows the power of the government. And so I would suspect, I'm not sure, if, do, do we know, Nick, do you know um, if this is going to be closed door or open door? Have we seen that yet? Or Liz, no, do you know I that? It just said you saw it from Araxio, so like, we'll just, know. But, um, I know Nick, Nick is like on the spot with the news. You were, Just before we went on, you were, you, were, you were refreshing us. But if I think if it's, um, if it's, I mean, I think either way, though, he's going to be much more cautious in that, in that setting. Well, also, listen, he's the president's personal lawyer. He's not a lawyer for the United States government. He's allowed to act and do some things, right, on his own. Um, I think the frequency of his trips and his conversations with the Ukrainians um, is obviously going to be right at the top of the list of dot connecting here. But he wasn't negotiating. I mean, he was pressing. He admits that he was pressing very hard for an investigation to the prosecutor and uh, of Hunter Biden, right? Yeah. Uh, what else has he admitted or openly has agreed that he's done? And I'm not sure that he can't do that. I mean, he's not. Yeah. He, That's, right. Even, That's right. I think it depends whether he's whether he's officially representing the United States government. Right. And that's and that obviously we that, you know people are talking about that. If the State Department officially authorized him to do discussions, that's a problem. But if it's just Rudy Giuliani, you know, pushing for an investigation, I don't think that's a problem at all. Well, so far, I was just checking. So far, the subpoena is just for do- him to turn over some documents all related to the you know, president's efforts to push Ukraine to look into Joe yeah. Biden. I, I suspect that Giuliani was pretty cautious with emails and the rest of it. Yes, you'd have I'd be to. surprised if he wasn't because this guy's been around yeah. a long time. He's, in- he's incredibly bright and, um, and he's not – he's nobody's fool. I mean this is the guy who took down the mob in New York. Um, you know, he, he knows how the world works. So I, I I would imagine that that unless he really has gone mad, which I don't think he has, I think he'll be he's been super cautious. Okay, but maybe not helpful to the president on TV. Right, that's right. Right. That's right. So let's um, shift gears and talk about how this, how Nancy Pelosi's been handling all this, and how we think this is going to play politically, and how it's playing with the Democratic primary, and then we can get back to who's still um on st- who's still on the dance floor out there, and who's not. 
Nick, why don't you take that one? Why don't you, why don't you kick off? Sure. Um, I, so first of all, I think that the fact that the Democrats are pursuing impeachment now, this close to the 2020 election, um, and when I heard this news, to me it seemed like a concession that without impeachment, Trump would win, that they didn't have a strong, strong enough candidate to beat Trump in 2020. Because, you know, we're – less than a year or no, a little bit more than a year away from um, the 2020 election. And that's not too long um, to wait. And that fact, like I said, I, I think they're conceding that Trump has a pretty good shot to win then. Um, and then the other thing that I think is that Nancy Pelosi was, she's really caving or she was stuck in a bind at first. Um, Cause she's taking a really big risk with this because um if you remember in 1998, Gingrich lost his speakership after the um, whole Bill Clinton impeachment failed. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. She's really taking a risk with this. Um, but if she, if she doesn't proceed with the impeachment, she's ignoring calls from the, from the left to impeach Trump, which they've been trying to, to do for the past couple of years now. Um, and so she's really in a bind. And the the other problem that Pelosi faces is that not all Democrats are on board. With, first of all, no Republicans are on board yet um, in the House, and she hasn't called for a vote. So that kind of you know the charges don't really have any credibility until you call a vote, um, which which is it's not required, but it's a tradition. And she hasn't done that yet. And I think part of the reason is because she only has two hundred and twenty three Democrats supporting her, um, and she actually has holdouts from certain Democrats running in um, hotly contested areas like Joe Cunningham in South Carolina and Max Rose in Staten Island um, and, and a bunch of others, too. So they're holding out because they don't want to lose their, their campaign because they or, – or she, or she let them off the hook. Exactly. Um, right, right. Um, and that's not really a good look if you're trying to impeach someone. If you look at the past impeachments, um, you know, Nixon was – 400 and something. It wasn't even close. 400 and something to, um, I think, I don't remember the exact number, but it was, you know, low 400s to, you know, single digits, I think, voted only in his favor. And then with Clinton, it was 258 against and 176 for. So even even in that sense, it, even even though the margin was much smaller there, I mean, it was a pretty significant uh, margin of votes. And then Andrew Johnson, a lot of people voted against him too, and that was you know, a long time ago. So Nick, do you have any info or Billy, do you remember how long the process was throughout all of this with both Nixon and Clinton? I can't, I really can't, rem- I would, can't remember. God, it Does seemed like that- forever. It seemed like forever with Nixon, but, but not the impeachment because th- that story was such a slow rollout because of the way right. media was then right? where people right. were waiting two or three days for the next Washington post story or time, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I think the, the pace was, you know, it felt like it went on for a couple of years and I think it did. It did. It, it absolutely did. But it what did. about with Clinton? Because I'm just thinking about that too, just for, on both sides here. Clinton was pretty quick. I think Clinton was. Help, who does the clock help or hurt the most? Or Nick, do you have a thought on that? I do. Um, so the the Democrats are and Pelosi is setting a really small timetable here. They um, the news came out last week um, that they were they were going to impeach and the time they want they want to get it done in a couple of months because the clock is really working in their favor here. Um, first of all, um, just to show you how rushed they are, Pelosi actually said that she was going to impeach Trump before she even read the transcript. Now, obviously other Democrats had read it, um, and were pressuring, but she didn't even read the transcript of the call before she, she said she would impeach. Um, and the faster they can get it done, um, the better, uh, just because like I said, they're grasping at straws in terms of evidence here, um, yeah, I think you touched on something important. I think she made a big mistake by not waiting one day for the transcript. I suspect that she knew what was in the transcript, that she was given a heads up, but 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 that was a leak. Um, she should have waited the day because that's a good rhetorical you know point coming back at her. You know, you, you were going to impeach before you even saw it. You know, I suspect she she knew what it said already, but that that's one thing. Um, but but also, you, know, you talk about the risk that she takes. No no question. I mean, it's a it's a tremendous risk. 
Like they're putting all their chips on the table here. There is one Republican who said he'll vote for who supports an, the inquiry. He hasn't said you know how he'll fall out on it, but it's um boy talk about a risk because it also freezes the Democratic primary in place. Yeah. There's just no yeah. room for anyone to break out. So it's no. yeah, I think you're you're exactly right, Nick, on that. That it's it's a very it's a very big gamble for her, and um, I don't think it was one that she which you raised last week, Liz. It was one she did not want to take, but I don't think she could hold her conference back. No, clearly, she, clearly she couldn't. And I and I think notwithstanding that um, your your points about waiting the day, I think her tone and tenor and her uh, public comments have been very measured and effective and she looks almost aggrieved and like she's you know concerned for the country and she's trying desperately to be as a sort of non-political as possible through this and I think obviously part of that is she's trying to send a message to her caucus to do the same of course we've learned she has no control over what they do but uh I I think she, she I couldn't agree more that she absolutely had no choice the, 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 I think her caucus, she was probably at the point where her caucus would have voted to Elster as speaker. Yeah. Because there was no, there was, no, I didn't see one Democrat coming forward and actually defending her um, slow walking this mm. whole process. Yeah. And, and I must say when she, when she went for it to her credit, and I've never been a huge Pelosi fan, but to her credit, she went in unflinchingly and they've been rolling out the subpoenas in a very orderly way. Like it seemed that the the Trump administration has definitely been caught off guard, and the messaging has not been clean. It's been a little bit all over the place, and um, I think they're all trying to play catch up and do circle the wagons. Like if you saw that that um, that you know McCarthy went on, for example, you probably saw this on sixty Minutes, and he didn't know about that sentence in the phone call. Right. That said, Can you do me a favor though? Yes. Um, he was unaware of that, and that's I mean. That's that's not the way Republicans typically operate. They're a little more thorough than that. It's, it's been a very sloppy reaction, and the you know the, the Twitter wars and 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 escalating the Twitter stuff with you know treason and you know fifty thousand um, dollar you know uh, rewards to name the whistleblower that kind of stuff out there. It, right. It's not helping at all. It's not helping Trump at all. So I think Pelosi's moving forward correctly, and I agree, Nick. I think she'll try and wrap this up as close to the end of the year as possible. And maybe, you know, and then kick it to the Senate. And then really it's it's the hot potato in the if if the whistleblower material that gets extracted from the various committees is damning, then the hot the hot potatoes in the Senate's hands. And they're trying to hold that majority. It's a really tough one. I mean, I assume the Senate doesn't convict. I mean, that's you know, highly yeah, unlikely. But, it, but if, if, if things are right, yeah, but for those but for those marginal senators, for Collins, for Gardner. You know, for 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 tough seats to you know to hold, right. it could you know it could be a tricky walk. It could be. I um one one other thing back to how the White House is handling this. You know, I, I read today that that the president is not planning to put, pull together any kind of a war room and set it up the way Clinton did. You know, with stocked largely largely with um, lawyers and then some good comms folks. Yeah, uh, the, the White House is doing that, and I'm not sure why not. Because I think under any sort of you you behave that way in any campaign, quote unquote, and this is now a campaign of its own, in addition to the 2020, you know, the reelect. And uh, maybe they are doing it, they're just not telling anybody, but uh, it would surprise me if, if the Jared Kushner and a couple of, uh, Kellyanne Conway don't say, we've got it, we really have to, we've got to do this. Yeah, I mean, Kellyanne's a, a pro and, and yeah, Kushner's no dummy himself. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I, you I, can't I, be doing this in a reactive. You, this just can't be by the seat of the pants stuff. You it just, can't. Yeah, and and the difference between this and, of course, this has been said too. But the but the but the, the glaring difference between this and the Russia matter was that for those of us who see the dress as as um, green or whatever we see it as, um, it's a very simple. It's very simple. It's like the president was on the phone. He he asked for dirt on a political opponent. And so it's a very, you know, you may not see it that way, but for those that do see it that way, it's a very simple case for Pelosi to try. Right. And um, and that's very different than the Russia thing where it had so many twists and turns and the rest of it. And I think Pelosi has been good in telling her members to, 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 you know, refrain from throwing out extraneous arguments because she well, wants to keep the, it clean. Yeah. But what about the political consequences of this? Let's talk about this for a second. Now, the Democrat, the Democratic Congress has gotten nothing done. Gotten That's right. absolutely nothing done. Yeah. So let's just say we spend the next year consumed by this. Is there a big risk to them 
going into 2020 to have no legislative accomplishments beyond. Totally. We, we launched an impeachment inquiry, which ended in no impeachment <laughs> or no conviction. Yeah. Um, which I think the three of us are all yeah. saying, they're not. He's, there's no chance that he's going to be convicted. So what happens? And also, what about the American people? There is so much work to be done. And I wonder how voters are going to treat members of Congress even on both sides, because I think there's going to be a lot of Democrats actually rank and file voters who are really angry about that. This, if that's the case, and they're going to risk taking either taking the Senate back or even winning the White House again. These major issues, infrastructure, spending, trade, I mean, they're not, USMCA hasn't gotten done. There's nothing being done on immigration. We've been, I don't know, whatever happened to the infrastructure bill, there never was one, and on, and drug pricing. Um, there's going to be, I think there's, there's going to be hell to pay on both sides here. I, I totally, I totally agree. And I think it's completely unpredictable. The, um, and I, you know, I think the presidential candidates, I read a piece this afternoon, you know, I don't know if it was not bad or it was a, or it was a news report basically telling the presidential candidates, you know, like respond when you get asked about this Ukraine thing, but be talking about policy out there. And I think that makes sense for those democratic candidates, but that's why I think, you know, again, to Nick's point, Pelosi will move through this as quickly as possible yeah. and th- and then put it in the Senate's hands. And then, you know, if I was advising her and I don't advise Democrats, but if I were to advise her, I would say then start cranking out policy. It's the Senate's problem. You know, Billy, start- that's a reminder. I, I think when we first launched the show, I, I told you I thought we should call it unsolicited advice. <laughs> exactly. Because you can advise anyone you want from this platform. That's Go right. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I also think that, you know, for lack of a better phrase, this is a fight to the death. If Trump ends up getting convicted, I mean, ends terrible for him. He's not going to be in office anymore. Um, and But if the Democrats lose, I think, I mean, it's going to be awful for them. Um they're going to look terrible. I think Trump will come out stronger afterwards, um, which is obviously not what they want to accomplish by doing this. Um, and like with Bill Clinton, when Bill Clinton came out after the impeachment or after the impeachment, impeachment failed in um, 1998, Clinton was stronger. Um, so I, I think That's this right. is really terrible for I mean, whoever is on the losing end of this. And, and like we said, I think it's going to be the Democratic Party. Um it's really not going to be good for them. Um, they're probably, I think that they probably lose the 2020 election too, just because, you know, people would see this as, a, I mean, if it fails in the house and then moves to the Senate, or sorry, if it uh, pass, if the house passes the articles of impeachment and they move to the Senate and the Senate, you know, overwhelmingly um, denies them it. And, it's going to look like it was just a political move. And of course, you know, the impeachment, the beginning the impeachment process is a political move because it's, it's generally begun. It's a political process. Yeah. Exactly. By the party who is in power in the, in the, um, in the house. So it's going to look entirely like a political, yeah, yeah, it's going to look like an entirely political move and just to get rid of Trump because they don't like him. Um, And it's going to be terrible for the Democrats on that. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you, Nick, that the, that the, the like if you were going to weigh out the odds the the risk to the democratic party is much higher than to to trump right now um like they they really have gone all in with this everything yeah. needs to work out for them to succeed here otherwise if if it just goes to a to a partisan vote in the senate i think you're right you know whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger and i think trump has shown that since the very beginning since he came down that escalator and he just ne- never backs down if there's um but, you know, if if you get cracks among Republicans in the Senate, which I think is possible, um, then it could be different. But Pelosi's got much more at risk here than than Trump does, I, I, I think. Um, unless things go exactly right for her, it could be a disaster, which is, you know, you got to That's a gutsy move. It's a gutsy call. I'll say one thing. Yeah, so I agree with you about the Republicans, especially Republicans defending their seats next November. It's going to be very, very tough. This is not, no matter what, this is adds a whole layer of complication that Republicans didn't need because they were already in, in, in trouble. But, you know, I will say this. It, one of the biggest problems that the president and the Republicans have here is the, the sensitivity around interference in elections by a foreign country is still so high. 
We are nobody's close to having resolved the Russian situation from 2016. And now we've got this with the fact that it involves Joe Biden, a candidate, not just former vice president, makes it's like nobody wants to come on. I mean, aren't we smarter than this? Are we better than this? What the hell? So I, I, I think that could be a real problem for Republicans right now, because yeah. we, we've spent three years trying to say that, you know, the Democrats are just trying to delegitimize Trump's presidency because of the um, the Russia stuff. And we got through the Mueller investigation. That, that This is not good for them. It's just not good for the party. It's not good for any either side. But it's, and, it's, not good for, it's not good for either side. That's right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, and the and other thing I, I'd add too is weighing the if I were a Democratic political advisor, I would I don't I don't know if I if I advise posing the Democrats to do this because if you just weigh the benefit um, and the cost, you know, if you, like I said, if you lose, you're, I mean, it's going to be terrible for them. Um, and if you win, maybe you get Trump out of office, you get Pence, um, but I think. If I were a Democrat, I would say – if I were the Democratic establishment, I would say focus on one candidate. Just or I guess force – put all your force behind that candidate and try and beat Trump next November. I mean I think that – like I said, the cost of this is just – it's just too high um, to, to warrant yeah, this. Yeah, too much collateral damage. Yeah, whereas you just have – you have a – if you put all your kind of sway behind one candidate and show unity – then, well, they tried that with Hillary and got in yeah. trouble. Though. <laughs> well, you need a better candidate. Than yeah, um, right. And so, I mean, it, it will end terribly. Do you think there's any chance either of you think that Mitch McConnell would ever cave here? Is there anything that he would do to save yes. himself? Okay, yeah. Yes, I think if he thinks he's going to lose his membership, that's he, right. Absolutely, I think hundred percent. Right. If he's going to lose his majority, yeah. it's all over. I think the White House and the president are making a huge mistake if they think that Mitch McConnell has got their back or is their ace in the hole because he is I, I couldn't agree more yeah he's not a sucker you know what I mean, I mean yeah, yeah you know I mean absolutely you, you know what I find just from these whole these last couple of years is and I'll it's a it's a life lesson that I didn't get out of the Nixon the Nixon time I was 11 when the impeachment went down but I watched like every day of Watergate I was a news junkie and um and and we you know uh Largely, I I cried when Nixon resigned. I mean, I went in all the way on it, but it's it's really inc- incredible how um, how much your mind can be shaped by your partisan opinions. Like how you'll see things totally differently. Yes. Like you know, like like there are people who now swear the deep state thing and they believe it, and and many 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 listeners may believe that. I have friends that believe it. Um, like it completely sways. How you look at things, I'll never forget that. I'm probably, I wish I had learned it 30 years ago, but it's um, people will see whatever they want to see in things, and it makes me look at history very differently. Do you, Billy? What? And this is such a good, interesting point. So let's get back to so you see what you want to see, but also getting back to what convictions are within both parties. I mean, do you think Republicans going forward? Let's just say Trump. This ends very badly for Trump. Do you think they get back to the really what matters to the most, you know, smaller government, sanctity of human life, safe borders, you know, legal, legal, you know, yeah, peace through strength, peace right? Through strength, supporting small business, blah, blah, blah. Um, when are we going to be reminded of what the values are that matter to us and also the Demo- on the Democrat side, their stuff too? Um, and get away from a lot of this, you know, the the blocking and tackling and, and fist fighting that goes on all day, every day. You know, I, and a lot of people, you know, ask that question, and, and we've had that conversation before I have with a number of people. I think the Republican Party, I've changed my mind. I think it goes back to, to kind of the way it was on those traditional conservative positions, because I don't think there's another Donald Trump out there. I mean, he's a really unique individual. Right. And he is he is just, you know, he's a tornado. I mean, he has been, and we watched him in New York for many years, and and had interactions with him in the '80s and '90s and aughts, and and you know he's he's a singular um, you know force of nature, and I don't see anybody else out there that can drive it that way. I think the 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 members, you know, the this, this elected Republicans, haven't really changed their principles so much. They just don't want to break with the party because loyalty. When you come up in politics, loyalty is everything. It's a blood oath that you take. Coming up is like you stick with your side, and and I think 
you know, most of them have. But I think, you know, take Trump out of the equation. I think they revert back to, you know, to believing what they always did. Yeah. And hopefully doing something about it. That would, that would be nice <laughs> to be optimistic. Yeah. So let's talk about the Democrats and all those who are still standing in the race. Um, yeah. I saw an interesting poll today from out of South Carolina, um, um, just actually comparing black and white voters. I, I You saw the same poll. And what struck me for those who, who, um, who didn't see it, it was a CNN poll, um, is that Elizabeth Warren is doing significantly worse with black voters than she is with white voters and also significantly worse than the rest of the field among black voters. And there are other things in the poll I want to talk about, but I mean, my bigger point here is, you know, Biden is doing very well with black voters. He always has. He's, he's at 45% with blacks. Um, Elizabeth Warren's at 4% of the black vote. Yeah. What, and I don't know her history here, so I'm really asking this openly, Nick, maybe you do. What, how would you describe that, dis- that disparity? Cause you know, Biden's doing very well with white voters and black voters. Sanders' numbers are pretty consistent among white and black, so the few percentage points different. There's a massive gap. Pete Buttigieg has the same problem, but his other numbers, but as high as not nearly as high as Elizabeth Warren on either side. What explains this this, this gap between white and black voters? Um, I, I I think Warren is not the kind of Democrat that 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 black voters on on mass you know, flock to, I mean, she's a, she's a, she's a new England academic. I mean, I know she came from the the West of, you know, Midwest of, originally um, or the West coast, but um, she's like a Harvard academic. That's not really, that's not, re- that she's not really a great communicator in that way. I think Biden, they know they trust him because he was with president Obama and they know his name so well. And, um, but I think, I don't think holler. Warren engenders any, I, I, you know, I, I don't see, and I'm, and I'm speaking, you, you know, I don't want to speak to about any, ethnicity or, or, or group saying they all think one way, but um, I don't think ideology is what drives a lot of African-American voters. I think it's bread and butter issues. I think it's, um, it's, it's jobs. It's, um, it's church. It's, um, it is um, rebuilding inner cities. It's, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's um, bigotry and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's prejudice. Um but I'm not sure it's um it's the Harvard professor that's going to you know it, grab them. That, that said, it's interesting that Harris isn't doing better, and she's she's African American, um or or in, in part. And um, I think that's because she was a prosecutor, yeah. and she was looked. She, her record is pretty tough. Yeah, it's pretty tough, and and maybe they don't you know people don't know her that well yet, and they probably won't get the chance. Or even Cory Booker. I mean, Cory Booker's no prosecutor. He doesn't even rate it. He doesn't even rank. He's not even ranking, which is yeah. really, really kind of strange. And he I lives in inner city. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, what, what's interesting is that if Biden holds that support and that's yet to be seen how this all has an effect on Biden, you know, the, the Iowa and New Hampshire will probably break for the the white liberal, you know, a Warren. Um, but when you get down to South Carolina or the Southern primaries, they're, they're, yeah, they're all driven by, those are driven by black vote. I mean, those are, you know, sizable black vote in, in those Southern states. So you may have a if if Biden's still viable at that point, you may have her jump out to a big lead, and then have him you know rebound quickly afterwards. I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't want to you know kind of project anything on on these voters. But one thing that sticks out to me, and, and this is kind of you know proven not false, but it's it's because Hanners has a high. Um, high percentage among black voters. But I wonder that, I mean, Biden's reforms are not as drastic in terms of, you know, the tax, uh, taxes and all that kind of stuff as Warren. Um, so I wonder because, you know, black unemployment right now is very low. Um, and I wonder if they don't want the economy to change with, you know, higher taxes, because as you know, higher taxes, lower incentive and the doesn't, um, incentivize economic growth. So I wonder if that's also a part of it. I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, the job opportunities and that, but I'm not sure though, because like I said, that she would reverse some of the progress would, that Trump has made yeah, with the black and, voters and employment. That's an excellent and, point. And, and I think Biden, it's very possible. Yeah. Yeah. And Biden is, he's much less liberal in that sense. He wouldn't not have as radical a program as Warren, but like I said, Sanders was also at 13%, which is higher than any other Democrat among black voters in South Car- Carolina except Biden. So he also, he of course has the most radical changes um, to the economy. 
No, I think that's right. That's right. And I, and I think, you know, African-American communities, again, you know, generalizing, but they're, they're pretty conservative. I mean, they're, they're solidly Democrats, right. you know, you know, by, by, you know, by, um, you know, by statistics, but, but they're conservative Democrats. They're not, you know, they're not liberal on social issues. And I'm talking about as a, to say the you know group, you know, obviously individuals can break out, but, but that's the history of the, of the black voters is that they're on the socially conservative side of the democratic party. That's right. And that is not, that is not Elizabeth Warren. That's right. And then, and I think your point, Nick, is a very good one too. Is I'm not sure they want to turn the economy on its head either. Whoever you know they is. I mean, it's it's individuals, but but you know, it, it, as a whole, I, I think there's some risk to an Elizabeth Warren because it's theory out of a Harvard textbook and not based in reality. Yeah, I mean that's right. She's definitely not one of them. That's for sure. Right. Your right. Point about being more culturally conservative is exactly right, Billy. For the black voters and Biden is listen. We 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 we've talked about this, and he's also very well known to them, and that I think that's another thing. I mean, for sure. Um, I think the the other thing too is the the market is doing outstanding right now. I, I actually have this written down. The well, even today, yeah, Nick today, and I were just discussing I had a statistic here. Um, the market is the S and P finished at its highest. Uh, point through three quarters since 1997. Um, and I mean, that's an amazing statistic. And I, I don't think, like you said, they don't want to turn the economy on, on its head. Um, I think everyone fears that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I did hear Mitch McConnell saying today that you know, in talk about China and trade that rural America really is getting hurt. And the president, everyone needs to hurry up and get a deal done. I mean, not, not, not at the expense of us interests, but that, you know, what's going on with China trade, Right, right now, exactly. tariffs yep. is, is really unhelpful to – and this is not going to get any better if it continues this way. Yeah, and, and McConnell needs to protect his members, and he's got his ear to the ground, yeah. and, and yeah. there are people who are making noise, you know, yeah. black, white, you know, Hispanic, whatever you are. Yep. There's, you know, there's, you know we're, we're all human beings at the end of the day, and we all want to be able to put food on the table for our families. So um, maybe we only have a couple minutes left. I would love to talk about this law that just passed in um, in California. Did you see this, the Gavin Newsom law? This is fabulous. So California is the first state in the country that by law now is allowing college athletes to accept money for uh, sponsorship from sponsors, partners, outside sources, which, you know, the NCAA bans that. It's, it's not allowed by the NCAA. So, um, uh, and, you know, we there's been discussion for decades about how universities all across the country reap hundreds of millions of dollars in both television rights and other sponsorship stuff for, for athletes. And student athletes are not allowed to take anything. They're not even allowed to get free lunch from a potential, from a sponsor or an outside source. So uh, I, this is really revolutionary. And it'll be very interesting to see how many other states follow suit or to see if other universities, you know, from other states get on board and say it's time for this too. But you know, the whole premise here is that if there's that much money going around, the athletes who are actually performing should reap some of these benefits. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah, I think I think I think University of Southern California, USC, it just just upped its recruitment potential yeah. enormously. Yeah, <laughs> and, and UCLA and, and Cal. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. So, but I wonder, I wonder because of that, because that's a real factor. You're you're going to get all those all those you know four and five star high school athletes looking for California schools. Whether the NCA steps in here somehow, because that's a problem. Well, they that, that changes the dynamic of college football, exactly. or college sports, all college sports. Yeah, I mean, they said they would step in and fight it in court. Um, but I mean, and, and this is also really, like you said, revolutionary because not all the athletes that play in college, not even all the five-star recruits play in their respective professional leagues. So to make some money in college, um, I mean, that that's that could be really helpful for for their futures um and i i mean i don't i've never really understood why the ncaa doesn't allow it um and what their reasoning behind it is um because i i personally think they should get money if they're playing if they're making so much money for the school then i don't know why they're not getting you know or not even allowed to have endorsements so i was i was always against and i continue to be against the the universities paying them or that kind of share because you, right. you're yeah. getting a free education which is yeah. worth a gazillion dollars right um but for but i but this one is a private sector thing this one doesn't bother me yeah that's right like, like this this one is like if you're worth what you're worth on the free market as you know as an image i i think you should be able to pursue it 
Well, it's interesting. So the NCAA – I could change my mind, but that's my initial take. I, you know, so the NCAA threatened to ban California schools from competing on the basis of – now they have unfair recruiting advantage. Oh, they are already. Okay, I hadn't right. seen that. So this could become a constitutional question. It's going to be what, de- depriving people of the right to make money. I don't know how they can actually do that. How do you do that? How do you do that? This is mean, a great Supreme Court case. Yeah. Right. Because like if you ha- if you have a million Twitter followers, you are of value to a lot of people. That's right. They will pay you to endorse a product or the rest of it. Yep. How can you take away your right to, to speak? That's, you know. Yes. I, I think that I think the athletes win on that one and constitutionally, but who knows? We'll see. And and the other thing is that, you know, athletes somehow they, they find a way to make money um, without the NCAA knowing about it, but then some of them get caught, and their futures, their futures are put in jeopardy because all they want to do is make some money. And you know, I think statistically, a lot of people that are um, coming to college as recruited athletes are underprivileged, and making money could really help their families. And I, I don't, like you said, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't allow those, you know, endorsements that are separate from the college. Separate from the college, right? In fact, I think that Mayor Pete Buttigieg should make South Bend, Indiana, um, <laughs> be able to do it. <laughs> you know, but I'm being very selfish as a fighting Irish blood, fan. Right. In his blood. We should also say what's in your blood, which is being the founding family of the National Review. Yes. So, Nick, that's actually the big link here. Never mind that Nick, not Nick, and our blood relatives. You guys are the are relatives in a much more meaningful way, Bill. <laughs> and I'm once again showing that the, even the best genes fade in the wash. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh! No, no. But you know, um, I I think we're actually out of time. I think we've gone over a little bit. But Nick, thank you so much for uh, uh, Nick Neuer. Thank you so much for your for your thoughts and um and expertise and all your and all your um your contributions like to to the um public discourse. I mean, it's you're being brave out there, you know, fighting for what you believe in in um in very liberal Manhattan. I've 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 worked in Manhattan for many years in politics, and it's tough. Oh, yes. It's very tough. But thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, Hats off to you. Yeah. We're, it's great. And we will absolutely have you back again. So you'll be sorry for that. Um, but especially as we go through uh, the next the next 12 months, it's going to be fascinating. Just fascinating. Lots of opportunities. Yeah. Yep. All right. Bill, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yep. And we'll talk to everybody again next week. Thanks for joining. Fantastic. Us. A purple mountain majesties over the fruited plain. But now wait a minute, I'm talking about. The-